0: This is the Speaking of Writers podcast. I'm Steve Richards. In his new book, The Complete Victory, Saratoga and the American Revolution, Kevin J. Weddle, professor of military theory theory and strategy at the U.S. Army War College, offers the most authoritative history of the Battle of Saratoga to date, explaining with verve and clarity why events unfolded the way they did. In the late summer and fall of 1777, after two years of indecisive fighting on both sides, the outcome of the American War of Independence hung in the balance. Having successfully expelled the Americans from Canada, in 1776, the British were determined to end the rebellion the following year and devise what they believed a war-winning strategy, sending General John Burgoyne south to rout the Americans and take... Albany. Kevin Weddle is Professor of Military Theater and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, a West Point graduate. He served in the U.S. Army for 28 years on active duty in command and staff positions in the United States and overseas, including Operations Desert Storm and Enduring Freedom before retiring as a colonel. Happy to have Kevin Weddle. Join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Welcome to this program.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: So, your book, The uh, Complete Victory, Saratoga and the American Revolution, of course, Saratoga, close uh, to us here, as I'm sitting in Schenectady, New York, right now. Why this book for you? Uh, Well, you know, uh, it's funny,
1: because I'm primarily a Civil War historian, uh, but when I taught history at West Point when I was a, a young captain, uh, of course, West Point is, is steeped in revolutionary history. It was, there's there's all sorts of revolutionary war um, uh, fortifications around there, and we used to do tours of these fortifications with our students, and I really got into revolutionary war history. Uh, and when I got my PhD um, in in history, primarily Civil War history, I was one of the Uh, one of my areas of studies was revolutionary and colonial history. And I I really, really uh, liked it. And so I wanted to, I didn't want to be a one horse pony and just stick, or a one horse, you know, historian and just stick with the civil war. I wanted to branch out a bit. And so, so Saratoga, and I always enjoyed teaching the campaign uh, as a, as an instructor at West Point. And so um, it uh, sort of fell out that way.
0: So Kevin, what is happening in the summer of 1777.
1: Well, um, in the sub- well, really, if you if you want to look at the Saratoga campaign, you really have to go back a few more more months before then, um, because it really the 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 genesis of this campaign really takes place in the late uh, late 1776, early 1777, when you had uh, two senior British commanders will offer up two competing plans for how they see uh, the, the war ending, um, two plans to end the war rather. So you have John Burgoyne, Lieutenant General John Burgoyne, who had been the second in command in Canada earlier in the war, earlier in 1776. He's gone home to London. So he's there in London and he presents his plan to uh, the King and um, Lord George Germain. Uh, Germain was the Secretary of State for the uh, colonies, so he's basically the civilian uh, minister, cabinet minister, who's responsible for running the war in uh, North America. So Burgoyne's plan was pretty ambitious and complex, in which he he recommends that three converging columns uh, will head toward Albany, New York. Uh, one coming up the Hudson River, that would be the main British army in North America, coming up from New York City up the Hudson River to Albany. Another column, uh, a major army coming down from Canada, down uh, actually up Lake Champlain, since Lake Champlain flows north or drains north. Uh, so coming up Lake Champlain from the from the uh, from Canada toward Fort Ticonderoga and then on to Albany, and then another column going over to Lake Ontario and then going coming. Um, down the Mohawk River Valley, also uh, meeting in Albany. So the idea was to split the rebellious colonies in half, uh, with the middle colon- splitting the middle colonies away from New England. And then after that, they would conduct some sort of operations into New England from there. So that's Burgoyne's plan. Very ambitious, very complex. And that's what he proposes. Uh, the king and Germain really, really like his plan. They, they love this notion of, of invading armies coming down Lake Champlain uh, from Canada. Uh, General Sir William Howe, who is the commander in chief of the British uh, forces in North America, whose headquarters is in New York City, he's, he's in New York City, so he proposes a different plan. Um, he, now he's been involved in the war almost from the beginning. He's fought George Washington Um, And what he proposes is is a completely different plan. His proposal is to take the main army there in New York City and seize Philadelphia, which is, of course, the seat of the Continental Congress. And then he's hoping that by seizing Philadelphia, Washington will be forced to defend the capital, the the city of uh, Philadelphia. And then he can he can lure Washington into this big decisive battle and he can defeat Washington the rebellion will be over. So how has recognized Washington's army and Washington himself as sort of the, the, the American center of gravity, if he can destroy Washington's army, that'll end the war. He's got these two competing plans. Uh, and so the King and, and especially Lord Germain, they have to sort of reconcile these two plans, which one are we going to pick? Uh, who's going to be in charge, you know, all those different decisions that a, a senior leader has to make. Uh, The problem was you've got one of those leaders, one of those military leaders is sitting right there in London with the decision-makers. That's Burgoyne. You have another leader who is the commander in chief after all, he's sitting in New York city, 3000 miles away. Well, in the 18th century, 3000 miles over the Atlantic ocean, that means that any messages going back and forth are going to take, you know, eight weeks, uh, or more uh, to, to go back and forth. So it makes it really hard to coordinate a strategy. And what happens is they they end up basically approving both strategies, both Burgoyne's plan and Howe's plan. And so what ends up happening is it, instead of being a coherent strategy that they're going to embark on in 1777, what ends up is is a sort of a muddled, very uncoordinated strategy with no one really overall in charge. And that's really going to set the seeds for British disaster uh, that will ultimately happen in September and October of 1777 on the banks of the Hudson uh, near Stillwater, uh, New York. So so the, the, the genesis of the British disaster really is way, way back in December of 76, in January, February, March of 77, when they're trying to coordinate these, these plans. Fast forward into the summer of 1777, uh, Burgoyne has, has the approval to execute his plan in his hands. He travels to, back to Canada. Uh, he takes his army, he prepares his army, and he's ultimately going to head south Um, uh, along the Lake Champlain route uh, to uh, Fort Ticonderoga, which he envisions will be the toughest um, part of his task, um, to to take Fort Ticonderoga and then continue on to Albany. Uh, At the the same time, there's another force up there in Canada, uh, about 1,800 uh, soldiers commanded by uh, Brigadier General, Temporary Brigadier General Barry St. Leger. He's going to go uh, down the St. Lawrence River to Lake Ontario and then over into New York uh, to the Mohawk River Valley and then go down the Mohawk River Valley as a supporting force for Burgoyne as he's heading south. And then in the meantime, Howe, of course, remember I said they they basically approved both plans. So Howe has his approval in his hands and what he's going to do is take his army and instead of going north on the Hudson River to meet for going at Albany, he's instead going to embark his uh, soldiers on, his, uh, on the Royal Navy ships uh, and transports. And he's gonna take them by sea up the Chesapeake Bay and land them south of Philadelphia. And then he's gonna land those guys and head up to Philadelphia. And again, hopefully lure Washington into a decisive battle. How is that key? He gets one of these very delayed messages from uh, Lord Germain saying, hey, um, uh, we, you know, we approve your plan to go to Philadelphia, but as soon as you're done with that campaign, you need to help Burgoyne. And, of course, that's, it's, what ends up happening is that message is way too late. Uh, it's way too late in the summer for him for how to even think about helping Burgoyne. Uh, and plus he still has to conduct his campaign against Philadelphia, which is going to take some time. So as you can see that, you know, the, the tyranny of distance between London and New York and London and um, um, uh, Canada uh, is going to really prevent any sort of coordinated strategy. So you've got Burgoyne basically on his own up there in Canada and then moving into New York and then how also kind of conducting his own Operations as well against Philadelphia.
0: Do you think bigger question here? You know why Burgoyne and also how in Cornwallis? You, you laid it out there pretty much, but uh, could not seem to put together a patient and successful plan to defeat the colonial forces. You, you've mentioned coordination, lack of coordination, a few times, but not only at Saratoga, yeah. but overall.
1: Yeah, well it's 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 a it's a major it's a major problem, and one of the things it, when you have leaders in London who want to micromanage the war and then you have this huge distance issue, it makes it almost impossible to to do that. Um, And so, you know, what of course, what they should have done is they should have picked picked the commander that they trusted and give them whoever commander it is. In this case, it's Howe during this period, but later on it becomes Clinton uh, and so on. And and after Clinton, it ends up being Carlton. It's to pick the right guy, Pick the right commander and then provide them with with basic guidance like you need to destroy Washington's army. Boom. That's your objective. And then and then give them the resources to do that and let them come up with a plan to to execute that. But when you're trying to micromanage from 3000 miles away, uh, it makes it almost impossible to come up with a, a coherent uh, uh, strategy and a coherent plan. Uh, so, so it makes it it makes it tough.
0: We're talking to Kevin Weddle. The complete victory, Saratoga, and the American Revolution. Uh, Go ahead uh, about Burgoyne.
1: Oh, yeah. As as far as Burgoyne goes, now, you know, uh, a lot of historians blame Howe for for the ultimate disaster because he didn't, you know, he didn't uh, help Burgoyne and and all this. Um, I I take a little bit different view. Um, I look at this campaign as... um, you know, you, you got to remember that how is the commander in chief in North America? I mean, he is, he is the guy who's been tasked to win this war. And so when he provides a plan to the decision makers, and they approve it, he's the commander in chief, I mean, he's going to execute that plan then. Uh, and what a lot of historians don't really pay, pay a whole lot of attention to, or at least a whole lot of emphasis it on is that in April of 1777, When Howe gets the okay to go against Philadelphia, he sends a message to Burgoyne in Canada that's very explicit and says, Don't expect any help from me as you're heading down toward Albany because I'm going to be heading toward Philadelphia. So when Burgoyne heads south uh, from Canada, he knows by that time that Howe is is not coming to, he's not going to provide any assistance and Howe isn't coming up to Albany. But yet he continues to press on, and I think the reason he continues to press on is he is totally unconcerned with his ability to get to Albany. He doesn't think he needs any help from the South. He thinks he can do it on his own with no, with no problem whatsoever. So he is, he is a very confident guy as he heads south from Canada.
0: You also provide a new interpretation of George Washington's role in the American success at Saratoga. Why?
1: Well, I, I think um, Washington is almost the, uh, the, the forgotten person in this, this whole campaign. And, and it's, it's understandable in a way because, of course, uh, while the Saratoga campaign is, is evolving and, uh, and kind of uh, opening up as we're going head south and, and so forth, Washington has his own troubles because he has to deal with how? How's big army outside New York City? And Washington has to figure out what Howe doing and how how makes it really difficult on Washington, mainly because Howe has the advantage of having the Royal Navy uh, at his beck and call, because, by the way, his brother is commanding the Royal Navy in, um, in North America. So they obviously are cooperating very closely. So that means that that he's got he's got the power of the Royal Navy and Washington is constantly lamenting that he he doesn't have something similar because. How can load up his guys on ships and take off and Washington has no idea where they're going. And of course they have the mobility of those ships, which Washington doesn't have everything Washington has to do. He has to march his guys, you know, to and fro from point A to point B. Whereas Howe has that extra ability to go on board ship and, and then appear someplace uh, where Washington might not be expecting it. So Washington is fighting the Philadelphia campaign while the, uh, Saratoga campaign is is ongoing, so so people kind of forget his role, but his role is really really important. After Fort Ticonderoga falls, which is a huge huge shock to the American system, um, you just have to read any of any of uh, Washington's letters around this time, uh, or Cong- any member of Congress's letters around this time, governors. I mean, everybody is just absolutely shocked. They they thought that. Uh, the Americans would hold on to Fort Ticonderoga with no problem. Uh, and, and um, you know, of course, that doesn't happen. Ticonderoga falls in, in space in about three days. So it's a huge shock. But Washington recovers pretty quickly, and he starts to provide the Northern Army under the command of Major General Philip Schuyler. He starts providing uh, the Northern Army with, with resources. And probably the most important resources he provides are good, steady senior leaders. Uh, And those senior leaders are people like Benedict Arnold, um, people like uh, Benjamin Lincoln. So really, really experienced, steady, uh, uh, good combat leaders he'll send up to help reinforce uh, Philip Schuyler's army. So this is really, really important because Schuyler uh, after Ticonderoga has a, even though he, he, he conducts himself well, he, um, his, his uh, letters and messages back to Washington and Congress um, really indicate a commander who is um, um, stressed to the max and um, is very, very pessimistic about his ability to slow down or stop Burgoyne. So you get this string of pessimistic, even fatalistic messages coming from uh, Schuyler, and so Washington, as the uh, as the overall commander in chief of the entire American uh, milit- uh, the entire American uh, war effort, not just his army down near in New Jersey and, and near Philadelphia, uh, Washington provides all this all this help. So senior leaders, uh, he also sends reinforcements up in terms of, uh, of units. Uh, combat units, uh, And a l- little bit later in the summer, he sends probably his most elite unit uh, up there to help reinforce the Northern Army, and that's uh, Daniel Morgan and his riflemen. So wh- these are all decisions that Washington is making. And at the same time, he's also trying to buck up Schuyler's morale. He's providing him with advice and support. Uh, and so, in other words, he's acting as a true commander in chief of the entire American war effort and not just his own army. And I contrast Washington's Washington's role in the Saratoga campaign with Howe's role in the Saratoga campaign, Howe, again, being the the British commander-in-chief, Howe is laser-focused on Philadelphia. And even when Burgoyne moves into New York and thus he comes under Howe's control, Howe, Howe does not he does not act as a commander-in-chief. He instead acts as an army commander only, uh, and he provides, you know, very, very little support or guidance or advice to uh, to Burgoyne as Burgoyne moved into his area. So it's a, it's a, contra- a, a, a contrast, a stark contrast, I think, between um, a, a commander-in-chief like Washington who understands his responsibilities as commander-in-chief and how, who – Although he's a you know, long-term professional, obviously, British uh, officer and a, and a good one, um, instead he allows himself to get sucked into the Philadelphia campaign uh, and, and really sort of uh, ignore everything else that's going on.
0: It's a fascinating book, The Complete Victory, Saratoga and the American Revolution. The author is Kevin J. Weddle. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, I, I really enjoy it.
0: And this is Speaking of Writers...